Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. It is 106 in Edmonton's second hour of Oilers Now. Opening hour we heard from Wayne Gretzky. And the newest member to the Hockey Hall of Fame, Kevin Lowe. Hour number two for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Brian Burke, along with George LaRock, a very truculent second hour of the show. Louis DeBrus, by the way, will join us on the Friday edition of Oilers Now. Appreciate Louis making some room so we could get uh, Kalo on today. The second hour of Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex, who wish you and yours all the best during these uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. For our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, electrical prefabrication and solar, we go to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, and we are pleased to be joined by Thursday regular Brian Burke. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Brian, you there? Yeah. There. Now we got you. Hey, Brian, let me ask you this, because I know you're a fan of other sports. Uh, with Kevin Lowe uh, becoming the seventh Oilers player to be selected into the Hockey Hall of Fame, the Oilers' top three picks from the 1979 NHL draft, which includes Kevin Lowe, Mark Messier, and Glenn Anderson, they are now all in the Hockey Hall of Fame. They're given the 1974 Pittsburgh Steelers a run for the money, aren't they, is the uh, greatest draft. Uh, by the way, for the listeners that don't know, the Steelers have four Hall of Famers out of that draft year, including their first uh, three picks. But uh, it's an amazing accomplishment. How exciting of a day was that for the last couple of days? Was that for all of you guys who were involved in that uh, Hockey Hall of Fame committee? It's the coolest part of my job. Um, you get to discuss these great players and have some influence on who's inducted and who's not. And then subsequently you get to meet them. I know most of them already, but uh, it, it's a cool day. And, and you know, I, we don't get to listen in when Lanny calls the the new members, but uh, that's got to be one of the great phone calls you'll ever get in your life. It's a two-day process. Is there campaigning that leads going into this? Well, it's way more than two days. We met the day before, so we met Tuesday to make sure the virtual meeting was, would work and we could do our ballots effectively. And it's a good thing we did. Jeff Deneme from the Hall does a really good job, but we had a lot of a lot of screw ups going in, including a couple by me. Uh, I'm not a real computer whiz, so I'm glad we did that. But the actual process is so they accept public submissions, so anyone can write to the Hockey Hall of Fame and say, "I think uh, Joe Schwartz should go in." And then those public submissions are submitted to the selection committee, and then we review them and we see if there are any that we want to carry forward. Because to be a, a nominated, to be considered you have to be nominated by someone on the selection committee. 
and then we submit our nominations and we get a a big pile of material with the list of nominations and support material and that's when it really starts that's back in april that's when you start researching these player by player builder by builder uh you make calls uh to get additional information on a guy you don't know that well or to get some information on, on the women's game i follow the women's game pretty closely but a lot of people don't uh and yeah we talk one another and just what you're thinking what you know but not much lobbying and not much arguing, and the, the, the discussions are very cordial, very professional. Uh, how challenging is it uh, to compare candidates when one might have a statistical superiority? There's a 500-goal score. That used to be an automatic to get in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's at least a couple 500-goal scores right now that are not in the NHL Hall of Fame. Uh, but, you know, when you're trying to compare numbers uh, for certain guys, versus a player like Kevin Lowe, who sacrificed offense to be the shutdown defenseman on what many people would consider myself, including the most dynamic team in NHL history. It's got to be a little bit of a, a quandary in terms of you can't really – you're kind of comparing apples and oranges there, aren't you, in a way? Yeah, but that's their job. I mean, that's what these are all people are knowledgeable about the game, and you've got to decide. You know, there are different categories where a player can be exceptional. And the word we use a lot is elite. Was the player elite in his area? And in Kevin's case, he was an elite defender, an elite penalty killer on six championship teams. Uh, had a major leadership role on all of them. Uh, and then had a successful career in management on international hockey. And, you know, that wouldn't matter on the player category. But this guy's done it all in hockey. But um, he's an elite defender. And it's hard for the public to grasp how a defenseman can go in with, you know, 400 points or whatever versus a guy who's got six or 700. But the difference is Kevin was an elite defender. Kevin played against the top line on every opponent they faced all those years. So he was playing against great players every night. Uh, he was nasty, a much nastier player than people remember. And uh, I'm really happy with this class. I think Kevin belongs, and I think it, it shouldn't have taken him this long to get in. Well, I've been saying to listeners over the last uh, 17 seasons, Brian, that Kevin Lowe didn't care if it was uh, Bob Probert or Bob Stoffer in front of the net. He was going to cross-check that guy in the back and try to clear him out of the front of the net. That's how he played. He was, you know, he didn't pick his spots in the least. Um, you know, they've, they've now got, uh, you, you know, it's funny, you talk about the parameters, and they've now got seven skaters off that team, and Glenn Sather, the Montreal Canadiens, you know, were a dominant team in the 1970s. I believe they have nine, and I, I kind of look at Kevin Lowe a bit as a defenseman the same way I look at Bob Ganey as a forward. Like, Bob was an unbelievable defensive forward, real leadership skills, was a class act, and a central part to the success. And the, the Canadians of that era, Brian, I, I'm, I'm from Western Canada. The Oilers weren't in the NHL. They were my team. Do you think that's a fair, compar different position, but maybe a bit of a fair comparable? Yes. Uh, again, elite defender. And, and again, this was a factor in Marion Hosa going in. Uh, even though he's there statistically, he was also an elite defender. He was a great two-way player. And he's, I think his first four years in Chicago, he averaged 60 points playing on the second line. Like, that's impossible to do. So, um, no, I'm really happy with the class. Kim St. Pierre was virtually automatic. I mean, what a successful career she had. Uh, Kenny Holland is a builder. That one was real short discussion. Again, you know, he's so well-respected. He's made so much happen in the league. Um, I really like this class.
I mentioned earlier on the show, I saw, I broadcast the game with Kim in it. 2000 uh, Women's Final, Albert upset McGill 2 nothing that year. Uh, Kim needed to score three goals, I guess. Pandas were all over them. Uh, and on Ken Holland, so wonderful, wonderful story. Let me ask you this. Should, we've, we've gone from 6 to 12 to 21 to, you know, 31 teams, soon to be 32. You, you, you put in uh, four uh, NHL players and then uh, Kim St. Pierre and Ken Holland as a, as a, executive uh as a builder do we need to expand the size of the class each year to go to maybe six or seven skaters each year just in reference to how much the game has grown well that's up to the board of directors we're just a selection committee okay Uh, i don't i certainly wouldn't vote for that this should be a very hard club to get in and the fact that we did not uh admit a second woman's player and did not admit a second builder is proof that we view those those limits as limits, not targets. And so uh, I like years where we've put in three players and not four. Uh, I like years where we put in one builder and not two. And I think that uh, I, I think the, the way we do it is, is right, and I think it, it, we work very hard at getting it right. And, and I'm amused immediately. As soon as this news broke, people started second-guessing, how come no Alfreds and how come no this? And that happens every year. Yep. The simple fact is I think this is a really solid class. I feel really good about it. Uh, I, I talked to a Hall of Famer today, and he said, Bob, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good American players, you know, Jeremy Roenick and Kachuk, potentially even even Dougie Waite. Uh, uh, others said, what about Theron Fleury? You mentioned Alfredson. And, and there's there's time for those guys, too. And, and that's illustrated by the point that Doug Wilson got in after 23 years and Kevin got in after 20. There yeah. is time for those guys. Yeah, they time they time out in baseball. I think it's 15 years, and I don't see any reason why they should time out. I think this was an oversight that we corrected, and I think both guys are deserving, both defensemen. And, I'm again, I'm really happy with the class. All right. From uh, NHL Hockey and Rogers, longtime NHL executive Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication, and solar. Brian, we just went uh, nine minutes into the conversation without talking about our, our potential return to play, without talking about the impact of COVID. How closely are you sort of watching things as we appear to be down to six potential pod locations, uh, Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver in Canada, Chicago, L.A., and the perceived frontrunner, Vegas, uh, down in the States. So you, 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 it's pretty interesting what's going on right now, isn't it? Well, I think the delay, I think the league wanted to announce the hub cities today uh, and not interfere with the uh, the draft lottery tomorrow. But I think it's going to have to wait now. They've, they've hit a snag with immigration in Canada uh, or locally. Uh, the health authorities in British Columbia apparently, uh, and this is only Freeman's information, not mine, and he's usually dead on, um, is that it might be the number of positive tests uh, you can have and continue to play. So right now, baseball is getting hit with a wave of positive tests, football, college football, tennis, for God's sake, golf. So it's clear we're not out of the woods. It's clear that COVID-19 is raging in some states. But uh, if they can do this the way they set it up, and you and I have talked about this, if they can truly bubble the players, then the, the rate of COVID-19 around the around that area should not be a factor. And that being said, it's certainly a positive that Alberta's been so good at keeping this down and, and dealing with this virus. So um, I'm frankly getting weary of it. I, I would like them to announce the hub city so we can all get on with our lives.
Now, let me ask you this. The players, we're expecting, Larry Brooks reported today that the players will be voting on Stage 4. Should they include players from the teams that are not in the final 24 teams? Uh, my general sense is the union should should vote. All the players should have a vote, or at least their, their player rep. Yeah. Those teams that are not playing, their player rep should have a vote if it's done that way. If it's a, if it's a true CBA, they're talking about a CBA extension. It's a okay. true CBA, I think they need all the players to vote. Yeah. But the return to play protocol, yeah, I think if I were a player rep on a team that's not involved, I'd still want some say on whether it's safe or not, whether it's a good idea or not. I, I think people have to focus on, number one, is the health and safety of the players. No question, that can never change. But number two has to be, if we don't play, what do we come back to? And it's not going to be pretty. So I think the league's, the league's view has been from the, from the get-go that if it's humanly possible to do this, we're going to do it. And I'm really impressed how they're trying to forge ahead. We still could get sidetracked. This virus is nasty. But uh, the notion that if we can do it, we're going to do it, I love it. And if they can truly bubble the players, this might work. All right, so that's where I'm going to go next, Brian. I'm going to bring up Las Vegas because the consensus is over and over again, Vegas has got a secured spot in this. They have 23 posit- 2,300 positive cases in the last week. Uh, Nevada has roughly 100 people, the majority of which are in Clark County, uh, in ICU as we speak. Now, that said, theoretically, the league has stated that they can bubble one hotel. Are they actually mutually exclusive, or is it unrealistic to think that that could be a mutually exclusive situation? Well, I think what the league has in mind, Vegas's pitch, I'm told, was a, a total bubble. The players would fly in on a chartered aircraft, land at a private air, you know, terminal, yep. get on a sanitized bus, go directly to the hotel, and go right in with no interaction with fans or hotel employees. Go right in, get their room keys, head to their rooms. The hotel staff would also be quarantined, so the people who cooked their meals would stay in the hotel. Uh, players tested daily uh, to go to practice. Uh, the hotels are talking about they could literally walk if the strip isn't busy, but if not, uh, to keep them away from any civilian contact, get back on that bus that's parked somewhere inside or directly beside the hotel, go one block into the arena, pull into the arena, uh, they're going to limit the arena staff to skeleton. You're not going to have, you know, 70 people selling popcorn because there's going to be no fans. So the people that make ice, the maintenance people that they need to have who would also be tested, and you would come in to a dressing room that had been sterilized an hour before the trainers got to load in the gear. You would play. You would be tested on your way out of the arena and go directly back to the hotel. Quarantine situation, meals. And, and stay in the hotel. And there's things to do in the hotel. It wouldn't it wouldn't be like staying in a Holiday Inn in, in North Battleford. It'd be things they could do just the players. So they, I was told that that the Vegas pitch thought of everything. So I don't. If they can truly do that, then the fact that COVID-19 is raging in, in the city, or you know, even worse, go down to Texas. Uh, if they can truly bubble the players, that shouldn't be a factor. All right. Sportsnet does have the lottery coming up tomorrow night. It's a big night for those franchises that are in the mix there. I mean, we know all about that, Edmonton. You've had a little bit of experience of that during your time in Calgary. Uh, and it, it, there's a little bit of luck with it, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And, and, and I had experience with it every year in Toronto, unfortunately. Um, they're, they're, I, I think you've heard this rant before, but I think it's absolutely absurd that the teams that are 
actually in the play-in games get to participate in this draft lottery. It should be limited to the seven teams that are not playing. And the whole point of having an inverse order draft is that the worst team gets the most help. And then we had tanking, so we said, okay, we got to do a draft lottery. I get it. But it's my view that there should be no more than five teams in the draft lottery. The notion that New Jersey could move up eight or nine spots and take Nico Heischer, or, you know, there's too, there's too many examples where teams moved up. Patrick Lining, that was a move up by Winnipeg. Um, to me, it should be five teams in a typical year, maybe six once we get to 32. But this year, with seven teams not participating, they should be the only teams that have shots at these top picks. Obviously, the Oilers, uh, and tomorrow is the anniversary of Connor McDavid going number one. The Oilers uh, won the lottery in the right year. They also won it in the Yakupov year. They held their position in a couple years as well. New Jersey's actually won the lottery three times and moved up the most spots between Heischer, Jack Hughes, dating back to Adam Larson in the 2011 uh, NHL draft. So uh, Sportsnet's going to have that. Uh, Brian, thanks for your time again, and uh, we look forward to touching base down the road. Thanks, Bob. You bet. That is Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication, and solar. It is 122 at Edmonton, and you're listening to Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 125 at Edmonton. Bob Stoffer with you at uh, the home office. 630 Chad Studios pinch hitting today for Brendan Escott is Angie Quinnell. Uh, do you want to mention to you, cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. and that's an old saying in these parts, but outstanding customer service, that's a key part of business wherever you go. And Brent Ridge Ford, a nine-time President's Award winner for customer satisfaction in Wetaskiwin. They'll provide you with outstanding service at the time of the purchase. They'll continue that standard of service after the sale as well. Let Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and the gang at Brent Ridge Ford lend a hand by calling 1-877-477-3673 or visit brentridge.com. James has uh, tweeted at me at Bob underscore Stoffer saying, Bob, beautiful day listening to Oilers now at the Bonneville Beach. Wow, that's uh, quite the spot. And Bonneville actually has a connection to the Edmonton Oilers. Maybe the Alberta Oilers would be a better uh, point of view. Uh, there is a player that was born in Bonneville. Daryl Sittler, as we all know, has the single game high for points in NHL history with 10. There was a player born in Bonneville that had 10 points in a game for the Alberta Oilers in the World Hockey Association. You can text us on our Ashley Fine Flores tax line at 780-496-0063. This player, by the way, played a factor in Alan Eagleson's ultimate demise as the head of the NHL Players Association. Uh, this same player. And it had to do with the fact that Alan Eagleson ended up double-dipping and representing the interests of one of the players in his association, but also working with Bill Wirtz, uh, the former owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, who along with Jeremy Jacobs had in Boston had an incredible amount of power in National Hockey League circles for a long time. So let's see. Uh, we'll see here in the Ashley Fine Flores tax line whether or not we've got some texters that know whom I'm talking about. The former Alberta Oiler that had 10 points in one uh 
in one game. There we go. Uh, there we go. Fear the fin. Uh, says Bob, uh, Jim Harrison, who lived down the street as me as a kid. And that is correct. It is Jim Harrison. Uh, Dale has also got Jim Harrison. Multiple. Lo- See, this is what I love. I love stuff like this. Um, this one comes in. Bob, uh, Bonneville doesn't have a beach. Trust me. <laughs> They got a lake, and it stinks. <laughs> well, I've actually never been to the beach in Bonneville, so I wouldn't. But a lot of you know that Jim Harrison was the player that got 10 points in one game, and yes, indeed, um, Alan Eagleson negotiated a payout uh, for a debilitating back injury for Jim Harrison uh, after he played for the Oilers in the uh, WHA, went back to the NHL for the Chicago Blackhawks, and basically brokered a deal that favored uh, NHL management at that time, and that was part of his undoing as the head of the NHL PA. Uh, that is uh, Alan Eagleson, who, if I recall correctly, and somebody may correct me if I'm wrong here, had pretty significant ties to the Canadian Liberal Party as well. It is 128 in Edmonton. Uh, Gary texts the show and says, Bob, Climate Pledge Arena? That one comes to us from Gary. Uh, yeah, that apparently is going to be the new name of the arena in Seattle. After Amazon bought the naming rights, they're going to call it Climate Pledge Arena. Is that true? I know Ashley... Uh, uh, Ashley Flying Force text line. Lots of uh, lots of you are jumping in here. Uh, Elliot Friedman put that out earlier today that Amazon has bought the naming rights to the arena in Seattle, and it will be called Climate Pledge Arena. Oilers now with Bob Stoffer weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio six thirty. Chad.